Hi, I'm your host, Connor Byrne, and welcome to this episode of That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. In today's episode, I meet John Goldstone, managing partner at the Brand Gym. I've been lucky to get to do some projects with John and find his calm, creative, and analytical approach joy to work with. John is a fellow of the Marketing Society and has been awarded Marketing Week's Brand of the Year and the IPA Effectiveness Grand Prix. No mean feats. In our conversation today, John tells us about the amazing brands he has worked on, including Walker's Crisps, where he launched Walker's Sensations. Remember those posh spice ads? And also Hobus, where he rejuvenated the brand and created a brilliant Go On Lad ad. I'll forgive you if you pause now to Google them both. It's definitely worth taking a look. If you haven't had the opportunity to hear John speak about his career, his marketing beliefs, as well as his tips for you and your marketing career, well, you were in for a real treat from one of marketing's greats. John, thanks for joining me today on the That's What I Call Marketing podcast. Um, I'd love to start just with a little bit of a, an introduction to you and your path to, to working where you are now at the Brand Gym. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I actually started off in, in research, really through like not quite knowing what I wanted to do kind of out of university. Um, so I worked for what's now Cantar, uh, And actually really quickly, I realized it was the people that I was presenting to who were kind of on the client side in marketing jobs. That was the job I really wanted to do. And it's the first time I'd really seen something that I felt like I'd really enjoy and I'd, I'd be good at. So um, I, I joined Craft uh, actually initially in research and then moved over to the to the marketing side. Um, and immediately I just loved it. I loved having a brand to look after, the freedom to kind of do, you know, cool stuff. Um, and Craft was my kind of real kind of marketing university years, you know, lots of really good courses. I worked on some great brands, had some great managers, felt like I kind of, you know, learned marketing really Um, and then I had an opportunity to go out to Croatia of all places to work for Coca-Cola to be the the marketing manager essentially for a completely new Coca-Cola business after the the war in in uh, in in the in in Croatia which was just brilliant so I had all of this kind of training if you like and suddenly I was applying it in this incredibly fast-moving kind of new market which was which was awesome Um, I wasn't there that long, actually, because we had our, our second child, which brought us back to the to the UK um, and joined uh, PepsiCo, um, which I just loved. I was there for the um, best part of 10 years, um, did some really cool kind of interesting stuff. So um, I launched the big bags of Doritos for the first time in the UK. I launched uh, Walker Sensations as a completely new sort of brand launch, launched Nobby's Nuts. I relaunched Walker's crisps with like healthier oils and um less salt and all that kind of stuff so just had an absolute kind of ball um then decided to do something quite different so joined a company called premier foods big food company in the uk one of the, the biggest um and it was an opportunity to turn around their biggest brand which was um hovis which i again loved had complete kind of freedom to pick a new agency recruit a new team um effectively kind of invest what was needed to turn the brand around because it was their biggest brand by by far and they needed to kind of prove as a business that they could grow brands organically rather than just through acquisition so i did the hovis job for a while was promoted up to um cmo at, at premier foods um then took an opportunity to to move to unilever 
So I became the marketing VP for their food and refreshment. It's like ice cream business effectively in the UK, which was an um, amazing portfolio of brands. If you think about, you know, Ben & Jerry's, Magnum, PG Tips, Marmite, Pop Noodle, Hellman's Mayonnaise, Nor, you know, really attracted me, the, the, the brands. Um, and then um, moved within Unilever into a globe, my first kind of proper global role, really, um, working on the, the spreads uh, business. Um, and that really led up to the disposal of the spreads business to private equity. It was bought by uh, KKR about six years ago. Um, and that was my opportunity to do something I've been thinking about for ages, which was to um, essentially become a, a brand consultant or a brand um, coach, as we, as we say at the brand gym. So I'd known uh, David, who was the founder of the brand gym, founded 20 years ago, in fact, for a while. And we'd kind of had a couple of conversations, um, but that was our opportunity to have kind of serious conversation. And um, yeah, that was that was five years ago now, five and a half years ago. So thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've loved getting back to kind of pure marketing. I mean, it's it's I've always said it's as much a hobby as it is a career for me. I, I just love brands. I love growing brands. I love the people that work on brands. I love seeing them prosper. And I think... Um, as my corporate roles, if you like, got bigger, um, I, I just spent less and less time doing marketing. Seems kind of strange. Um, and that's what I love about it. So, so the, the variety of categories, the variety of brands, the variety of countries I work in, the great people I get to work with. Um, yeah, in lots of ways, I kind of wish that I'd done it sooner, if I'm, if I'm honest. But uh, yeah, hopefully that gives you a sense of yeah. from market research to brand consultancy over whatever that was 30 year period and one of the things like as you talk about the brands you've worked for you 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 mentioned that you loved them a lot like each of them there was was there something about the companies or the brands that you were going to work for when you were making those decisions that was part um part that you just would love to work there or love that particular brand was that kind of part of the story yeah i think without ever really sitting down and thinking about it um, I, I, I've always w- gone to work for companies where there's brands that I've had an affinity with, and I felt like I could do something good with them. Um, so for example, when I joined, um, uh, PepsiCo, um, the person that was interviewing me couldn't believe quite how excited I was about Doritos tangy cheese it's like literally my favorite snack I, I still is today I can I can scoff my way through a whole kind of big bag if I'm not careful and they were like I've seriously I've never met anybody who's as passionate about tangy cheese Doritos as you and I was like you've got to give me this job it's like literally my dream kind of brand to to work on but it's the same it, um, and, and there's also I think as I've as I've sort of got a bit older I've realized that I've got a, a knack really for, for turning brands around that were once famous and have lost a little bit of their gloss. Um, so right back at Kraft, I worked on Toblerone, which at the time was kind of famous brand, but it barely sold anything. And I thought, wow, I could, I could really have some fun here. And then the same with, uh, with Hovis actually, it was the real attraction of joining Premier Foods. I just, you know, thought of, you know, that amazing kind of famous boy on the bike ad from the 1970s and the affinity I, I had, you know, it was, the, it was the brand that we had as a family when I was a kid. And I just thought it's so sad that this brand's kind of on such 
hard times and it looks awful in store and it the bread's poor quality and the advertising's crap and I just thought I got I can I can really do something to improve the fortunes of this of this brand um and the same with Unilever actually brands like Marmite and Pot Noodle such famous kind of brands but again had been traded a bit neglected and I just thought wow I can I could I could really do something here so yeah it's definitely um important to me I think they often say don't they when you're looking for new jobs make sure you've got um you know a kind of a, a line manager that you can really imagine kind of doing great things with I think for me my version of that is just yeah the make sure it's a brand that you can you can imagine you're really getting stuck into and and doing something really good uh, with where a lot of them in decline might be the wrong word, but where a lot of them kind of on that path of they were, you know, they were great and had that potential to come back again. Is that part of the the appeal for you is, is that turnaround? Yeah, I think so. And it, it is one of those things that I, I've sort of considered retrospectively rather than necessarily at the, at the time. Right. But that seems to be the sort of the connecting piece between all of the brands that I've one I've most enjoyed working on, and secondly that I've been most successful with. I mean, there's been a couple of brands where I've, I've gone charging in, thinking that I can do amazing things, and they're they're, they're basically dead. You know, <laughs> there's, there's there's no reviving them. So at, at Unilever, there's a, there's a brand called Abstork. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, famous really in the 1950s and 60s as a as a baking brand. Yeah. And um, I was thinking, wow, there's this big interest in, increase in interest in baking because of British Bake Off and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of swept around the world. And um, Stork actually was designed to give cakes a little bit more lift than butter. So I had like a product truth that I could really play with. And I thought this is going to be like a global mega brand before we knew it. And of course, they're ridiculously naive. You know, it's a, it's a kind of crappy, slightly beaten up brand that's heyday was in the 1960s and there was no chance of ever really properly bringing it back to life so it doesn't always it doesn't always work always work yeah yeah i think we actually have some stork in our fridge would you believe and oh, I'll, there you go. I'll give you credit for that it gives you 30 percent more lift in a in a cake than butter there you go that's <laughs> so stork fact um it has less saturated fat so more uh, bigger bubbles essentially in a in a cake uh well definitely anything i bake needs all the help it can get, yeah, it can get. um and so obviously now with the brand gym for uh the last five coming on coming on six years i think um uh, yeah can you tell me a bit about the work for for somebody who's listening who doesn't know the work that the brand gym does yeah so there's essentially kind of three kind of core offerings that we have so the types of project that we work on um, the first of those is classic kind of brand purpose, brand uh, positioning uh, work. Um, the second of those is um, essentially kind of core brand growth. So we'll often go into businesses and we'll kind of turbocharge their marketing uh, plans. Um, we wrote a book called Grow the Core, and it was all about the importance of focusing on your kind of core brand assets, driving growth there. Um, often gives you a better return than than, than you know um, innovating. Um, having said that, then the third offering is around brand stretch. And if you are going to um, innovate or kind of stretch your brand into you know new spaces, the importance of doing that in a 
truly kind of brand led way that obviously links into you know your, your positioning and also is complementary to what you're doing on your on your core um so that's the type of work we do it tends to be with i mean all sorts of businesses so i've had the pleasure of working with with you indeed Connor, um, I work on some quite big businesses like, um, you know, Philips, for example, around the world I've, I've, I've worked with. But I've also worked with some much smaller businesses. So, for example, I work with a, a restaurant chain based in San Diego who specialise in fish tacos, wow. which, uh, which was a great project. So I spent quite a lot of time in San Diego eating fish tacos. <laughs> so, so that was good. So, so, yeah, all sorts of categories, all sorts of companies. And pretty much around the world. So I, I did a project in uh, Pakistan quite recently as well. So really keeps me interested um, just as much as anything. Just the variety is, is fantastic. Yeah, that it is. You know, it is a great thing to have that kind of just when I worked in agencies, it was one of the things I did love about being in an agency is like every day you'd be working on potentially two or three different clients work. And it was just that complete, you know, from financial services to gambling right like yeah. although people do make comparisons between the two since the the crash here but it's uh you know it is really fascinating just to, to to kind of get that opportunity when you were talking about kind of the areas of um i guess focus for the brand jim and you talked about that brand stretch and you kind of touched on it but i'm interested to hear more about how that brand stretch works that allows you stay close to the core because i you know i've i've been fascinated in that kind of the stretch outside the core. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it, it dates back a little bit now, but I think um, Walker Sensations, which I mentioned earlier, is, is probably the the biggest um, success of my career, actually, because um, it was just so successful. I mean, it, it went from, you know, um, zero, obviously, to selling about a hundred million pounds worth of retail sales within a two year period. And the total Walker's business at the time was, I think, about four or five hundred million. So, you know, it, it it really was transformational for that for that for that business at the time. And I think what that did really well is it it it, um, it was based upon exactly the same proposition as the core Walker's crisps brand, which was around essentially irresistibility. So, um, you know, these crisps are so good you would do anything for them, and that was best articulated through the the Gary Lineker advertising which was even this nice guy footballer that's never been sent off in his career will steal your crisps because they're so delicious you know that that's that's also irresistible so it it, it sort of worked off that of that um, central kind of proposition of, of um irresistibility um and it also from the core walkers brand it, it took some really um important attributes like um amazing quality i mean you know um the awareness that the Walkers brand had. So it benefited from that because we use the Walkers kind of main brand and then Sensations as a sub-brand. Um, yeah, so there, there was, you know, it, it sort of, it, it it took, if you like, which was important, but it also gave back to the main, uh, to the main Walkers brand. So, um, you know, Walkers, for example, um, you know, a key sort of image attribute is all around, you know, best quality in market. And actually, sensations upped the, the the quality offering. So it really helped the the master brand, if you like, um, you know, on, it, on its kind of quality uh, credentials. It was a sharing uh, proposition rather than just a for me proposition. So it introduced an area, an element of sharing into to Walkers as well. So for me, it was a the reason it was so successful is it, it was kind of 
true to the core master brand, but it also gave some really new, interesting things back. Um, I think um, the, the other, and it gets a little bit tactical, but it, I, I think it's so important, is one of the other key success factors of, of sensations, and I see it all the time, is that it was more profitable than the core walkers brand from day one. So um, it was basically relatively you know, cheap to make, but we could charge quite a significant premium for it. Um, and therefore the margin we made was that much higher. And it meant that when the sales guys are out there selling it, um, they were highly incentivized to do it because it really helped their numbers. It also gave us a little bit of room in the P&L to offer the, the trade customers a bit more uh, margin than perhaps they were used to with with, with innovation. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, when you look back at those big successes, that there's obviously there's a a brand element and the importance of kind of grounding it in your core brand values and all of that great stuff. But there's normally quite a heavy dose of quite practical kind of businessy stuff that, that will, um, that will, that will either make it a success or, or, or not. Was it, was Walker sensation competing with other brands that were doing something similar in terms of that kind of higher end crisp, or, or was it kind of creating a new, almost a new category within Crisp at the time? I can't remember. Yeah, it, it was it was really interesting, actually. So um, it was around about sort of 2000, so 20 years ago now. But um, the market at the time was sort of sharing snacking market. It was defined by Pringles and Kettle. And yeah. essentially, Pringles was a kind of um, a kind of party brand. You know, if, if it was the World Cup or if it was christmas or if it was a kid's party or something you know that would be the the brand that you would you would have in the house to share and kettle was the kind of the grown-up brand that you took around to your neighbors if they asked you around for drinks type thing it was that kind of you know says something i'm a a, a slightly more discerning kind of crisp buyer um but actually um the, the really interesting little nugget of insight that kind of unlocked the opportunity is that when we spoke to walker's buyers so that's the the mainstream buyers you know high penetration brand who who were mainly eating walkers in the day with a with a sandwich and we we basically asked them do they buy um kettle that the duplication was almost zero almost no walkers buyers even though there's huge number of them bought uh, uh kettle and when you d- dug under it they quite liked the idea of a kind of a posher crisp for kind of to eat in the evening with a glass of wine but for them um kettle was kind of it was too greasy it was too hard it was too expensive it was too southern english and sort of you know put your little finger in the air ear when in the air when you drink your <laughs> cup of tea sort of you know posh and um and, so, and that was really where the inspiration came from which is wow you know there's a bunch of people here that would readily buy a premium crisp in the evening but kettle's just not doing it um for them so that was it. The brief was basically to create a product that was a little bit less crunchy, wasn't greasy, had kind of posh flavors, but nothing too kind of, you know, weird or wonderful, um, was, you know, um, premium price, but not crazily expensive. Um, and, and that, that was the, that was the, the, it was a very simple kind of idea really, but it was incredibly powerful. And of course we, we used, um, Victoria Beckham to, to to advertise it right from the beginning. And we very proudly called them posh crisps from Walkers and she's posh spice. And it was just one of those things that it came together so well. And um yeah, it just it just took off from day yeah. one. It was it was fabulously exciting. I mean, it really was. 
I was trying to remember the ads. I, in my, as you were talking, I was like, what ad? Because I, I knew, I recalled them being on, on TV and out there. So, you know, even, even over here. But uh, yeah, that was, that's so clever. It's, and you talked about, about their kind of the insight. You, the, how important has it been throughout your career and through kind of the successes you've had, even now with the brand gym and working with clients, is that speaking to customers, speaking to clients to kind of unlock growth? You know, how, what sort of role does insight to unlock growth play in what you're doing? Yeah, I, I, I you know, again, you sort of analyze yourself a little bit over time and figure out <laughs> you know, what, what goes on in your head. But um, I, I've sort of realized that I, the sort of research side of me, you know, I, and I enjoyed my, my kind of research work. I, I, I do have an analytical side and I really love data and numbers and research. And I, 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 I'm really curious and interested. And, um, you know, if you give me, a pile of, and often my clients do, you know, 30 or 40 documents, a couple hundred thousand pages of research or analysis. Honestly, I can spend two or three days just noodling through that. I see the connecting points and the patterns and the trends and slowly out of that ideas emerge. So I really like the, the analytical side. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I, I sort of, I'm creative in that I like creative things, yeah. you know, I, I, so I love, music and film and art and so I'm sort of creative in that way but I don't paint or I don't play an instrument or so do you know what I mean so so I, I sort of I, I I see I I appreciate creative stuff when I see it yeah but I'm also kind of analytical and I think it's those two things um that that have made me you know pretty successful um marketeer that ability to be quite analytical but at the same time really appreciate the kind of the creative side of um of marketing as a as a discipline and i was actually because i was going to get onto some of your marketing beliefs we've touched on some of those but actually one of the ones i was you know i was interested to hear your point of view on kind of the the debate of like the science versus the creativity is marketing a science is it a creative art it's it's both i I totally think it is i i i you know i the the sort of the the discipline kind of evolves over over time doesn't it but i i think central to to being a good marketeer you know you've got to be comfortable both you know engaging your sort of analytical kind of cool unemotional kind of left brain but you've also got to be able to engage the creative you know go off wherever you want to um kind of you know exploration that you that you can do with your with your with your right brain so that sort of whole brain marketing i think is is really critical as critical today as it ever has been Another way of putting it whole brain marketing i like that and it's uh, do you have do you find you have to compartmentalize you know go right the today is analytical you know tomorrow i'll get into the creative side or can you flip between the two I think I do. I think um, as a consultant, I, I, um, I, one of the things I miss is the interaction with creative agencies of, of effectively. So I've always loved having that relationship with, with particularly the advertising agency, but also, you know, you meet creative people in, in all sorts of other agency environments as, as well. So um, um, yeah, I, I, I if I'm not careful, I get, I get, I get really kind of stuck in the data because I, because I, I enjoy it so much yeah. and, and making those kind of little creative leaps, um, 
Um, sometimes I, I sort of, I neglect that a, a, a little bit. And I have to kind of think, no, 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 my job isn't just to do the analysis, but it really is to make those kind of creative uh, jumps. Um, um, so, yeah, so that, that's, that's because you, you don't have that extra kind of resource around you yeah. to kind of assist you in, in, in doing that. And I, I think that's, that, that's probably where I'm, where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. You have to kind of go, it's interesting. We're, you know, I find we have a lot of meetings that may not be at the, you know, a good time zone. So people record them and send them. And I, I find myself more drawn to watch a meeting that's a creative presentation than anything else. It's just, yes. you know, because I think you do need, you know, you need that spark when you're not, when you're not getting it. And um, are there other kind of marketing beliefs that you've had through your career that you really kind of hold firm, non-negotiable things for you that you really, you know, believe need to be kind of followed? Yeah, I, I think um, number one is be remarkable. Um, years ago when I was at PepsiCo, I had the, the um, pleasure of, of meeting Seth uh, Godin. He came in and it, it just published Purple Cow, actually, and, you know, came in and, and presented it to a kind of bunch of people. And it just really struck with me, that really simple kind of story that he tells in that book of driving past, you know, fields and fields of cows with a friend and, you know, they don't even notice them. And you go past the field with one uh, purple cow and it's like, fuck me, it's a purple cow. <laughs> and and then obviously that's how most of us experience um, advertising. You know, you can go days and days and you'll be bombarded with hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of messages. And just occasionally you see something that um, is re- is remarkable in the truest sense, which is you will remark upon it. You will say to a family member or a friend, I've seen that thing. Isn't it amazing? Or, wow, isn't that clever? Or it really reminded me that I should go and buy such and such. And I, I, I've i really, really tried to, to stay true to that throughout my career. So I only put stuff out there, whether it's uh, a piece of innovation or a piece of advertising or a new packaging design or whatever, that is truly remarkable i i hate average so so that's that's kind of really guided me through most of my career i think the second thing is that um i hate hate sort of self-indulgent stuff i i really see um you know marketing as a function that should allow a brand to sell more stuff we we talk about sms at brand gym so i'm i'm a Commercial marketer, I, I always used to obsess over David's, um, sorry, Dave, daily sales when I, in my marketing jobs, you know, every morning yeah. you'd get the ping on your phone and I, I, you know, are we on forecast? Are we growing? Are we getting any share when the share reports come in? I, 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 I really, you know, stay true to that kind of, um, sell more stuff piece. Um, there's definitely some point three around, um, it's a bit Byron Sharpie, but, um, Brands grow by attracting new buyers, you know, so penetration led uh, growth. I've literally always been guided through that in my, my career on that. I, I remember my first brand was Toblerone, as I mentioned, and it had like 7% penetration. And I remember talking to the media agency when I first met them and they were like, God, this media is brilliantly targeted. You know, we'll, we'll target all of the kind of Toblerone users. And I'm like, surely we should be trying to get more people to buy the brand and they were like oh no no it's all about loyalty and turning it into a love mark and I, I was seriously I mean I, I, obviously it was way before how brands grow and stuff yeah. I was I've always felt just my job is to get more and more people you know trying a, a brand so that was number three number four is just a sense of the best brands are always doing stuff um I, I hate 
brands that kind of, uh, you know, rock up every six months and say, no, no, no. And so I've always, that principle of kind of always being out there doing something, always being active, always sort of having a, um, a, something to communicate to the, to the consumer has always been important to me. And then the, f- the final kind of um, sort of belief is um, hard learned really, which is, I think marketing is, is, is very much a, a team sport. And, you know, I, I think at early part of my career, I was, you know, doing my thing, but I, I was guilty of not taking kind of other people with me. And when I learned that lesson, the, the, the stuff that, um, you know, I was able to do with others on a brand was, was, was brilliant. You know, it, it was way better than anything I'd ever done as, the, as a sort of a lone, a lone wolf, if you like. Yeah. Cause actually, um, as again, as you talked to some of the, the roles you've had, you, it sounds like you were very in sync with like the product with, you know, sales. Like it, you weren't just kind of doing the marketing piece. It was, you were heavily involved with everything or there was a team involved. So obviously that did form kind of a, a team for you through, through your career so far. Yeah. I think Hovis is probably the best example of where everything kind of came together. So I'd had a amazing run at, at PepsiCo. I really, I really loved it. Um, but then I had the opportunity just to focus on this one amazing brand. Um, and, and, and I was, as a marketeer, just as you were saying there, I was given the responsibility to look at everything that was going on. And it was a brand that was in, in, in terrible health. You know, it was uh, losing share kind of month on month, um, losing sales, you know, just just terrible. And actually, um, the, the big thing that needed to change right from the beginning was um, the quality of the product right. because we, we would just, it was rubbish quality uh, bread versus the competition. And then just organizational belief. Um, right. There were 4,000 people employed on the brand at, at that time because there were 11 mills that milled, you know, the flour. There were um, eight bakeries around the country that baked the bread there was a huge um, army of uh, drivers that delivered the bread every, literally once a day, every morning to, to, to store and then a, a head office team. And everybody just got used to losing essentially. So it was, it was um, really before I even think that, thought about traditional marketing in terms of, you know, wh- how are we going to position this? You know, what, what's the um, packaging going to be like? What's the uh, advertising going to be like? there was some really fundamental stuff like just make sure the quality is worthy of advertising like, yeah, yeah, and make sure that everybody involved in this just believes that it has the potential to be great again. Um, so yeah. So, you know, for some people that might go beyond the realms of a kind of traditional kind of marketing job, if you like, but um, I've always felt that, you know, um, you know, essentially the marketer, you're the, the you're the, the, the growth person you're responsible for growth and um you know i i, I try and look as, as widely as i possibly can when i work on a brand um and often the the most important growth lever um it, it isn't isn't what you would consider to be the kind of traditional marketing yeah, yeah and and also think you know if the product if the product's not good it's really hard like you know you 
what is it? Can't put lipstick on a pig. You know, like it just yeah. doesn't, you know, you can do advertising all you want or whatever marketing, but if the product's bad, people might experience it once and yeah. know, not come, not come back to it. And we are on Hovis and I, I would love to ask you about, um, the, the very famous Hovis go on lad campaign that, you know, obviously you got the product right. People were starting to believe in the brand and then you created this incredible piece of advertising. Can you talk to me a bit about how that kind of came about and some of the successes that that brought for, for the company? Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, that's, you know, after the sensations launch, that's probably, you know, second most, you know, proud piece of, of marketing I've ever done. It's terrible English, sorry. But <laughs> um, yeah, so that was, that was, that was, that was really interesting. So I went into Hovis, the, the, the bottom was kind of dropping out of the, of the, of the business worked you know with my team and the broader kind of leadership team to you know get the quality good which was which was super important and just to try and instill a bit of belief into the into the business so um i actually joined in the in the uh, march of 2008 just to give you an idea of, of time and we said right <clears throat> we're going to give ourselves six months until september and in september we're going to relaunch this brand all guns uh blazing so we didn't it was no sense no time at all really to, to right. fix the quality problem to you know do everything that needed to do to, to be done so a couple of months into that six month period um i started thinking about um uh, advertising essentially so we'd, we'd kind of got this idea from a positioning point of view that um on the market map there were really two axes there was sort of a real bread axis so you had kind of, you know, artificial bread at the bottom and like really freshly break bread at the top and then sort of real baker's attributes. So you had sort of manufacturers, if you like, in, on one end and then kind of real baker's at the other end with like, you know, the aprons and the hats and flour. And Power, yeah. <laughs> and the, the, so the, the top right quadrant was where we wanted to be, which was real bread from real baker's. That was the proposition. But essentially Warburton's in, in, in the UK had stolen that market position from, from Hovis. So it was essentially right. We're going to leapfrog back over Warburton's, and we're going to steal that kind of high ground of being real bread from real bakers. That's the job, you know. And, and we got everybody lined up to that job. So um, we we'd had an ad agency, and I sort of went to see them. And to be honest, the response was really underwhelming. So I thought I just need somebody to 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 work on this that's going to care. And um, I met. Um, the, the guys at what was called MCBD at the time, the advertising agency, they've since evolved into being uh, lucky generals. Um, All right. Okay. Uh, um, so it's an um, amazing team of three. So um, Helen uh, Calcraft, Andy Nairns, Planner, and then uh, Danny uh, Brooke-Taylor, who's the creative. And I, I met the three of them. And honestly, I was totally blown away. It was, it was brilliant. So I, I sort of explained to them what I was trying to do and they were sort of, I mean, they were outraged at how such a famous, once famous brand had ended up in such an awful position and they wanted to put it right and they took it really personally. I, okay. I wow. love that. It was just like, no, we're with you. It, this is so important. We can't let a brand like this fail. So um, to be honest, the, the, the brief, I didn't show them a single slide. I just talked to them and I drew a couple of kind of... Um, you know, maps out on bits of paper and 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 so on. Um, gave them a book which was like the history of the of the brand that had been somebody had done a, a couple of years before. And then I remember going into their um, into their agency, 
And Danny did the presentation. The other guys were, were there. And there were a couple of creatives that had worked with Danny. And he was like, just imagine um, a young lad leaves home to go and collect a loaf of bread for his mum. And he runs back through 122 years of history. And honestly, I, I've got um, goosebumps now just sort of um, remembering yeah. it. But they, 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 that was it. It was kind of um, pretty much a, a post-it note, you know, um, sort of pitch. And I was like, absolutely, I can see it. I can, I can totally see it. And obviously the, um, the 122 years was the, the length of time the brand had been around for. And it evolved into an amazing um, advert which was 122 seconds long, the, the long form. So a second for every year the brand had been around for. Um, and I just love working on it. I mean, it, it came with some, um, some real challenges. So um, the, the, the budget, to, the production budget was over a million pounds. And the most that uh, Premier Foods had ever spent on producing an ad was 200,000 pounds. So that was that was essentially the the budget I was working within. So um, I just remember thinking, <laughs> you get this that? is literally going to cost five times more than we've ever spent on making an ad uh, before. So um, so I, I I sort of tested out basically the promise that had been given to me when I joined the company, which was we'll give you whatever you need to make this successful. And it was definitely some difficult conversations with like the procurement team and so on, but. We really went for it. And to be honest, if I hadn't got it signed off, I would have left the business. It was that important to me to do it well and to do it right. And I was so confident that the idea was so good that it would help to transform the fortunes of the of the brand. And, um, you know, really, my job was to was to was to secure the funding. And then the the agency team did a together with amazing um, uh, director who very uh, uh, sadly uh, died quite recently actually quite young um but yeah it, it just turned out to be just so brilliant I, I remember when I was first saw the rough cut before it was you know uh, graded or it had music over it and everything I just thought this is so good it's gonna be absolutely brilliant so uh, so yeah yeah it was um voted by ITV viewers the ad of the decade um um within the decade that we launched it within so um yeah really 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 proud of that and i mean linking back to my belief around you know marketing should sell more stuff that really was i mean literally the rate of sale increased the day after it first went on air i mean you know we would get uh, epos reports through right. from tesco or whatever and literally, you know, more people bought our bread the day after it went on air. I mean, it was because bread's a, you know, it's a daily purchase yeah. habit. It's got 95% penetration. So if you do something right, it has a pretty immediate um, impact. And tied to your belief, it's, it's remarkable as well. People oh, definitely. on it. And... Definitely. What I love with the, the bit I missed out of the story is that um, we, we got talking about, um, so well, I've done some research um, with, with, with uh, Hovis Bias, just to try and get a sense of what people thought of the brand. It was literally the first thing I did, like the first week I was there. And all people could talk about was the um, um, Boy on the Bike advert, which was yeah. uh, made by Ridley Scott in 1973. Um, and everyone was like, just just remake that, you know, do, do a new version of that. You know, that's, that's all you need to do if you're going to be successful. And, um, and, and so there was no, hist- no memory, no, no um, 
memory structure, again, using Byron Sharp language, other than that one advert that was, you know, 40 years old by the time I, I rocked up. And what um, the MCBD team uh, said was, let's, let's make something better. You know, let's not be, um, you know, um, intimidated by the past. Let's let's make the next great oversight. Let's make one that's even better than that's been made uh, before. And um, I, I really think they did, which was which was, which was you know fabulous. It also felt like it belonged to that ad. If you know what I mean, like it didn't feel like it was a massive departure from that, and like it felt like it was part of that story almost. Like you could see, yeah, exactly. the two almost lived together, which is um, and it's actually something that. Sorry, on that ad, one last thing. When we we did a bit of work together a few years ago, and I <laughs> I sent that ad to everybody that was going to be working <laughs> with you, going, "This is who we're working with." <laughs> so yeah. I was like, my fanboy moment. But um, but one of the things I know the brand Jim talk about as well is is the concept of fresh consistency. So something that um, you know, we see a lot of marketing is people coming in and saying change everything, right? Like, you know, new CMO, we change everything. So that, I guess, have you examples of kind of seeing that in some of the brands you're working with and where that kind of really adds value? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the campaigns that I, I most admire are the ones that, um, you know, have a really, really strong, you know, creative idea at their at their heart. And, um you know that they, they they go on and on, but they stay just as fresh and, and relevant as they did from 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 day one. So, um, actually, is one of the another reason I was attracted to to join PepsiCo because I I love the the Walkers uh, campaign. So, um, you know, the first Gary Lineker commercial was when he retired from from football and he'd been playing in Japan and he he came back and he was a Leicester lad and Walkers is a Leicester brand and. He was this kind of nice guy that had never been sent off. So there was an advert that was made, I think it was 1994, the first one. And that ran all the way through to a couple of years ago, so like 25 years. Um, and essentially the same idea, yeah. which is these crisps are so irresistible that even that nice guy, Gary, will try and pinch them. I mean, it was that was a, like a formula that ran for, for 25 years. And um, but it was always kept really fresh and really relevant through the context or through the other character that Gary bounced off or whatever. Um, equally so, um, the, like um, Guinness, for example, I mean, I, I, I always loved um, that sort of really clear creative idea, quite kind of epic in its yeah. ambitions. And the way that, um, you know, good things wait has evolved into their, I mean, there might have been two or three since, but into yeah. their kind of latest idea. It seems grounded in a really clear product truth. Um, there's a sort of a, a freshness to everything, but a real consistency that runs through the through the brand. So, so I, I really like that. And actually, the, the, probably the best example that I've worked on is um, is Marmite, and I, I think you probably know the the famous sort of love it or or hate yeah. it um, campaign, but um, I started working on that with um, um, Adam and Eve with right. the agency um, when I first joined um, Unilever. And it had been running for a long time, but it definitely lost its freshness. It was starting to get a bit repetitive and a bit stale. And um, and um, again, I mean, just work with 
brilliant agency people. And the, the, we had a, a real kind of issue at the time where people were buying Marmite, but not using it. It was getting kind of left in the back of the cupboard yeah. and people were trying other things instead. So we, we developed this idea called Marmite uh, Neglect. And, and the idea was, you know, um, you know, love it, hate it, just don't forget it. And, and it, it breathed completely new life into, you know, a really famous, lovely, long running um, campaign with a really strong, you know, brand idea at its heart and linked into a, into a, into a, into a brand truth. So I, I, it hang, you know, for me, the, the best thing I could do with that campaign was to keep it going and breathe freshness into it rather than, as you say, to, to rip it all up and do something completely new, which is often the, the instinct of, of um, marketers when they, they first go into work on a brand. Yeah. It takes a real kind of beat or a pause to go, okay, actually what, what should we do, you know, versus yeah. it's not working, you know, and, you know, when, as you say, you're responsible for growth, there's a, it can be a lot of pressure. So it, it, there is kind of a, a bravery involved, I think, in being able to stop and say, okay, hang on, how can we, how can we refresh this? Um, I know kind of the brand gym blog, there's, there was a post about James Bond being a good example of, of that yeah. as well, breathing kind of freshness into, into a franchise. Um, uh, we touched on it earlier on um, faders and learnings. Are there any kind of big faders and learnings that they brought to you in in your work so far? Yeah, I, I think um, there were sort of two that, I, that that sprung to mind. Actually, the first of those is um, running with things that intuitively I knew weren't going to work too long. If you know what I mean. Yeah, and I, I think um, at heart I'm a bit of a kind of a, a people please i'm not that great with kind of confrontation and i've got you know uh, better as i've got got kind of older but um back i remember back in my pepsico day there were two particular um pieces of advertising that i worked on and honestly they ran and ran this this kind of project and hey i i was responsible and right from the beginning, I was like, this isn't going to work. I, I just, this is just, this is such a rubbish idea. And yet I got sort of swept along with, with the momentum. I, I remember one was walkers and we were trying to move the Gary campaign on a bit links into our kind of fresh consistency conversation. And somebody had come up with this sort of technical kind of approach which was we were talking about how walkers is made from real potatoes and real potatoes are obviously sliced. And we were trying to get that whole sense of kind of realness back in. And it was possible to, to film like a scene. Um, so the scene had like 10 different slices in it. If you could imagine, like it was a slice of potato. Yeah. And in each slice, the action was moving slightly differently Right. Um, I think it's it's been moved used in some movies and stuff in the past, but less ambitiously. And I remember <laughs> the, being sold upon this idea, but really thinking, I've no idea how they would do this or whether it's going to turn out any good. And we spent hundreds of thousands of oh, pounds trying to do this thing with. And honestly, the, the first time it was shown to me, I was it was just awful. I mean, it was really really rubbish and even at that point we didn't pull the plug i didn't pull the plug i was like come on it's salvageable you know and i I think that that just yeah um not being as you 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 talked about braveness a few minutes ago but not being brave enough when all of my instincts were saying this is not going to work just to back my my judgment and my 
instincts. Um, there was a really similar thing. We launched a thing called Quaker's Seasons, and um, there was a piece of advertising. I, I won't go through the whole thing, but it, right from the beginning, I, I wasn't, I didn't like the script particularly, but the other people working on the brand were like, yeah, yeah, yeah this would work. This would. And I, I was like, God, I wish we'd just binned it, you know, right <laughs> early on. So that, that was kind of the number one sort of area of where, where there has been failures, where I've just let stuff run too too long. I think the other thing is, um, I talked about it a little bit before. I, th- I think I was quite a kind of a, a sort of lone wolf marketeer for, for quite a while, bit of a one-man band. I was kind of happiest when it was just me, if I was really honest. And um, I remember really being called up upon it when I was at, at PepsiCo. So I was kind of early 30s, I suppose. So I'd, I'd been at it for like a, a decade by then, I suppose. And um, I had a team and, and and the business was going unbelievably well. Um, and I thought I'm on for like a, like the best rating ever here, you know, big bonus and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I got massively pinged down on my on my rating and didn't get any kind of bonus because my team had done like these 360 feedback oh, yeah. surveys. And they'd basically all said that I was just a dick. <laughs> um, and that, you know, it was all about me. And, you know, I did all the presentations, the sales team. I took the credit for everything. And um, and it was really hard feedback at the time. Yeah. I was stuff at the time. But honestly, I, 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 I listened. I got a kind of personal coaching. Um, and I just transformed the way that I thought about leading, to, to, to be honest. And I'd, I'd never really been trained in that stuff, you know. And, and I'd just come out of, the you know, a bonkers time when I'd been working in uh, Croatia, of all places, which is like yeah. the Wild West, you know. So I'd, I'd picked up some really bad habits as well. So I think that was my other failure really not to see the 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 power of taking others with you you know um empowering others to do great things and 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 that that whole that whole kind of transition from it's all about me kind of you know childhood state into it's kind of all about us kind of adult state and i think all marketeers go through that transition and i i've really helped people you know coach people through that transition um in later in later years, but um, I found that really that really hard to to do, and that's probably when I look back, my my kind of biggest um, failure is is more of a kind of a leadership failure failure rather than a sort of if you like marketing yeah. um, um, sort of discipline failure. Yeah, I, I can I can relate to that. I something not hugely dissimilar, but you know, somebody on my team once said to me, you know, after I don't know how long working together and doing one to ones, and they just said you know, you've never asked me how my weekend was. <laughs> and I, it was just, and I, you know, I'm interested in people. I'm curious, but I, for some reason, had this wall up almost that I was like business-like. You know, again, in that early stages, you kind of feel a persona almost because I, I, prob- I felt I was probably faking it a bit, right? And yeah. so I felt that's, and it was really impactful you know it's still with me today and i think as you're, you say it's hard to hear those things but the difference it makes so it's kind of uh i'll always appreciate that person for for that thing but i think it's uh yeah it's it's great because then you, as you say you can bring people with you right because there's a different dynamic different perspective and um yeah it's true and and you know it's a cliche but feedback i mean really is a is a gift and whenever people now ask me for feedback I, I, i'm I really think about it you know I, I really want it to be 
considered and I really want to help others um, because that's probably the most helpful feedback I've ever had and, and was quite transformational in, in the way my sort of career progressed, you know, from that, from that point. Um, and I know you did it for me after we worked on a project together, I asked you for, for feedback and you kindly did take the time to, to consider it. And, and it was really just, it's great to get that again from kind of a, a perspective. So thanks for that. And um, I, conscious of our time we want to get through a couple more things but you've worked with a ton of people a ton of brands is there anybody you're kind of going oh my gosh i would love to be able to work with that person or that brand do you know um i was talking earlier about um um how lucky i've been to work for like amazing people in the industry and um I, I, honestly I, I i have been so lucky right back to when i was at walkers working with um amv there was amazing uh, planner there called uh, Bridget Angia. There was a fantastic creative guy, guy called Peter Suter. Um, I then had you know that brilliant team that I mentioned that worked on on Hovis, who I'm still in touch with today. And um, you know, I just think they're they're brilliant people. Um, actually, when I worked on Marmite and Pot Noodle with um, 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 actually it was just Marmite and Coleman's, it was actually with Adam and Eve uh, DDB. I had the pleasure of working with. Um, James Murphy and uh, David Golding, who who founded um, Adam and Eve, and so I, I feel like I've worked with like the the good and the great yeah. in the advertising industry, and, and I've, I've I've really loved those relationships. I, I, I'm sure there's people that I've not met along the way and not worked with that I would have enjoyed, but I, I don't really know yeah. who I've who I've I've not had the chance to to work with. So so I think it's more brands and sectors that I sort of think of around right. you know where I haven't had the chance to work. I, I've never worked in booze at all. So I, I talked about um, Guinness earlier being a campaign that I've always loved. And I, I feel like I'd really enjoy that world for, you know, some obvious reasons. But also, <laughs> I just think, you know, it, it, it's so brand led, obviously. I, I feel like there's a sort of purity about that, that world of marketing that I would enjoy. Um, the other area that really intrigues me, I'd, I'd love to work on as a consultant if I get the chance, is in... Um, is in cars. Okay. So that sort of whole um, sector. I think, you know, the, a lot of the um, advertising today is very ordinary and, and, and lacks, you know, distinctiveness. But, you know, you think back to the famous, you know, campaigns for um, Audi or for VW and, and, and stuff. Um, I think bringing back a little bit of that just great marketing kind of craftsmanship into that, um, sector would 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 be really would be a really interesting challenge I maybe tied to this but is there a campaign that you look at we've talked about a lot of campaigns that you have done yourself and also admire but is there anyone you go this is just one of the best I've ever seen it's probably a bit of a recency sort of effect here but um I, I think I, I've mentioned to, to you kind of but I, I really like the um uncensored CMO um podcast oh yeah like uh John Evans from um system one and he recently interviewed uh, a guy called Dominic uh, Dwight, who's the marketing director for uh, Yorkshire Tea. Um, oh, yeah. And I know Dom through Lucky General's advertising agency. So Lucky General's do the advertising. And, and that's how I've met Dom. And I've worked with him and his team. But I, I, I really do feel like that, that Yorkshire Tea um, campaign around um, sort of done proper, I think is yeah. what it is. It's just absolutely beautifully done and i'd really urge anyone to 
take a take a listen to that interview between John and um, and, and Dom because it's like a masterclass in how to build a, a brand. So lots of the principles that we've talked around, you know, fresh consistency, penetration, lead growth, da, 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 it's sort of all beautifully kind of comes together in that little case study. And interestingly, when I was at uh, Unilever, um, I was working on um, uh, PG tips and desperately trying to work out how to fix it. Cause it's got a yeah. broken brand and, all the time I could just see this, this Yorkshire tea brand kind of smoothly kind of <laughs> sailing past us and gaining share week on week. And um, yeah, I think it, it's a really quite humble um, example, but it's a, it's a really lovely example of, of, of classic kind of brand building, I think. So we're at the end and I thought it'd be nice maybe to ask you to give us kind of a, a, a top three countdown of, you know, advice or tips you'd have for people in marketing, whether they're, starting out or kind of further on in their career kind of and we've talked about some of the things you've learned on the way but it'd be great to get your kind of top three tips yes yeah you have warned me of this so I, I had kind of thought about it beforehand so should i start with number three go with number three yeah we'll go yeah. we'll go three to one so my number three is don't be afraid of the numbers so um i've always sort of prided myself on being quite a commercial marketeer and being, you know, really familiar with the with the with the uh, P and L and the balance sheet, and just sort of um, being recognised as somebody who's there not to just sort of grow the brand and kind of brand equity, but really to grow the kind of the the the, the business. So, I, I right back in my PepsiCo days, the business was run by a brilliant guy called Martin Glenn, and Martin was like really encouraged marketeers to be like. Um, mini managing directors um, for your brand. And I I think there's a real truth in that. And I think as the marketing discipline kind of fragments a bit, um, you know, that skill has has, has started to sort of disappear a bit. Those marketeers as mini brand managing director, I think is really important. So that was tip number three, don't be afraid of the numbers. And the next one is, uh, so that's number two, is to pick environments that really work for you. Um, I remember once I interviewed for a job and, and, and it was through one of those sort of independent agencies that kind of give you some deep kind of um, sort of psychology based kind of interview. And the guy sort of looked over his glasses at me at the end and said, I, th- I think you'd, you'd be very good for this job, but you do like a following wind, don't you? And at the time I was like, I don't really quite know what you, you mean. And I reflected on it. I was like, like, of course I bloody do. You know, why ever join a company where where you've got like a headwind constantly blowing against you and um so i think yeah pick environments which are favorable environments where you can do great stuff in otherwise so much of your energy will be spent fighting battles rather than just getting on and 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 doing doing the job Um, and i think going with that is, is is having the ability to say no um i interviewed once for my absolute dream job Amazing company, amazing brand. Um, and the the final, final interview was with the, the chief exec. He was an hour late for the interview. Um, he gave me 20 minutes because he was about to jump on a motorbike to go off, you know, to a meeting somewhere. And he, it, right at the end, literally as he's putting the motorbike helmet on, he said, oh, um, you've got one question. So I said, well, how would you describe the culture in this company in one word? And he said, Relentless. And then he literally put his motorbike helmet on. He jumped on the back of the motorbike and he was shot off somewhere. And I was like, seriously, do I want to work somewhere that's 
relentless. That's that's just you know why would I ever do that? And I I I they like me. They wanted to hire me. And I I turned them down. I said I just can't work in that environment. It just sounds awful. And um, so that was number two. And number one, hopefully it's a theme that's run all the way through our chat. Is is do remarkable stuff. Just do things. You know, purple cow marketing. If you want to call it that. Yeah. Just do stuff that's going to break through the the crowd and take absolute pride in it. Um, that's 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 it's that simple. I, I really think it is. And you need to have the other two to do the first. I think you know what I mean. Like you have to be able to say no. Like I think that's it's it. But true. It's true. Yeah, you yeah. need the credibility that comes with being commercial. You need to be in an environment where people are really backing you. Um, and only then, I think, can you truly do remarkable stuff. So I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think they they work together. Yeah, and as is proven, I think through your career, and you know, you have done you have done it right. You've done remarkable work. So listen, John, thank you so much for taking so much of your time to chat today. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, every time we talk, I I learn a bit more. I obsess about reading the brand Jim blog, and encourage anybody who isn't signed up to it to to sign up to to the alerts and, and read the blog and of course read the books that have been written by the, the brand gym as well so john thank you so much my pleasure Connor. really enjoyed it well i did say at the start you were in for a treat john speaks with such passion about the brands he has worked on my shopping list now includes stork tangy cheese doritos and fish tacos i'm not sure what you took away from this but for me john reminded me to be proud of and love the things i'm working on to work with great people at a place where i can do great things and that it's possible to be analytical and be able to appreciate creativity. It's whole brain marketing. And finally, do things that are remarkable. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy it, please do share and add comments with your feedback. From me, Connor Byrne, until the next episode, take care.